sorry, uh, then God's house in heaven is busy and powerful in its plans and its movements. The Bible says, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. His earthly armies are clothed with the triumphs and spoils of victory. His enemies are defeated on every hand. The life and prosperity of God's cause depends on the prayer of God's people. The advance and triumph of his cause depends upon him as we ask him in prayer. Prayer is an essential part of the life of a church, of a church. And this is true of Lighthouse Bible Church. This is true of us. This is true of any assembly. And if we want the gospel to be advanced in this city, what must we do? We must pray. We're speaking really the past four weeks, except last week, I guess, for Easter. But the past four weeks, we've been talking about a biblical vision for Lighthouse. And so you can see in the front of your sheet there, we have that laid out of why we exist, who we are, and what we're doing. Next Sunday, we're going to, I'm going to conclude it actually today. Next Sunday, my brother-in-law is going to speak. And then after that, we're going to go back into Mark chapter 7. So those of you who are all for the expository preaching, don't worry. We're going back into the exposition of Mark in two weeks. But in Acts chapter 2 here, we're going to look, in Acts 2, Acts 3, and Acts 4, we're going to look at a biblical vision of Lighthouse in relation today to that our church should be a church that prays and that fellowships with one another. First of all, I just want to look through this and remind us of this vision. Our vision is to bring glory to God, and our mission is found right there in why we exist. Would you read this together with me, why we exist? Here we go. We serve one... Let's all together. Ready? We serve one another by God's grace, with God's word, for God's glory. And of course, we exist as individuals and as believers and as a church to bring glory to God. But we do that particularly in the church here as we serve God in one another with his word and by his grace. And we talked about a couple weeks ago about who are we and what do we do? So would you look at your sheet and read this with me? Who we are and what we do starts off by saying we are a community. We are a community of Christ's disciples who, by God's grace, are committed to Christ and to each other that come together to gather in group and that confess to the world the gospel of Christ. We went through in detail. What does that mean? And so you can read that right there. What does that mean that we gather together? What does that mean that we group together? What does that mean that we go and confess the gospel to the world? We're not going to go through all that this morning. Can I hear an amen? Okay, but we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 42. Of course, we exposited this passage two weeks ago and looked at the entire context. But I just want to look at this one verse as we kind of launch into this. Acts 2.42 says, And they, that's the, that's the new church that just formed, they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We talked pretty extensively about that. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And then verse 44 says, And all who believed were together. So today what I want to do is I want to look at two descriptions of the church found in that verse. One is that they were a church that prayed together. Another one is that they were a church that shared their lives together. Or you could say the word used there is fellowship together. A church that is committed to Christ and to each other is a church that prays together and is a church that shares their lives together. So let's start off with a word of prayer. 
Father, we come to you asking for you to bless the preaching of your word. This, this is the highest life, and that is we get to hear from you. May we listen to your word, not as if a man is speaking, but as it is in truth, the very words of God. And God, I pray we'll take it, them seriously, and then I pray we'll believe them and live them by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm not going to read through the entire context here of Acts chapter 3, but I thought it would be good for us to review Acts 3 as we kind of lead into Acts chapter 4. If you remember from a couple weeks ago when we talked about the church and how it formed here, after that the church would would, would gather regularly in the temple. And so Peter and John would get up and they'd preach the word and they'd go to house to house and they'd pray together and they'd do communion together. And they had this fellowship and this community. In Acts chapter 3 there, we see Peter and John walking into the temple. I want you to picture this. I mean, only two months previous to this, the whole town was up in an uproar. There were about two to three million people in Jerusalem there. And, and they were celebrating the Passover, but they decided at the leadership of the religious leaders to go against Jesus Christ, who proclaimed himself to be the Messiah. And they uh, tortured him, and they killed him, and his followers fled, and they were afraid. And only that only was two months previous to that. And now his disciples are getting up and proclaiming that he rose again. That there was a resurrection and they were witnesses of this. And now you see in Acts chapter 2 and 3, you see thousands of people coming to Christ. Thousands of people confessing their sins, confessing that Jesus is their Lord and their Savior. I mean, think about it. In the temple there, there there's these pools where people would wash. And they were going in there and they're being baptized by the hundreds. Now, if you thought the religious leaders were upset before, they're really upset now. And Peter and John and the apostles are now doing miracles. And these miracles show that what they're preaching is true. They're preaching and doing these miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. And in Acts 3, we see them walking into the temple, Peter and John. And they pass a lame man who's about 40 years old. And now I I was thinking about this. Why was this man not healed when Jesus was in town there? I wonder if Jesus maybe left him there. To save him for this moment. And these men, Peter and John, walk into the temple and through the gate beautiful. And they see this man. And this man is saying, now give me some money. Give me some alms. What does Peter say? Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And this man gets up. And think about the miracle there. Not only did... Did God regenerate his legs, but also his brain to be able to connect, you know, his nerves and his brain waves to be able to connect so that he could actually get up and not just walk. But what did he do? He leaped and he praised God. I mean, think about how shocking that would have been. In fact, that's what they said. People knew who this guy was. and He's walking around. He's clinging to Peter. So it's clear that Peter was the one in the power with the power of Jesus Christ to heal this man. So think of the uproar there, and you see in Acts chapter 3, he gets up in front of all these people, thousands of people. Many of those people were the same people two months ago who had been saying, crucify him, kill him, crucify him, speaking of Jesus. And he gets up, and he proclaims that Jesus died for their sins and was resurrected, and these people now repent and believe. And and in Acts chapter 4, we see there's about 5,000 men, which if you include women in that, 
then there maybe it was about 10,000 people in the church at that time. Isn't that amazing to think about? Just like that, God did an amazing work. And think about these religious leaders in Acts chapter 4 here. They're jealous. They don't like what's going on. So they grab Peter and John. They put them in prison overnight. The next day, this, the Sanhedrin, which is about 71 different men there, and they stand in front of these men and they give the gospel to them. That's pretty amazing how God orchestrated that, isn't it? And they don't dispute that Jesus rose again. Do you realize that? If you read through this passage, and like I said, we don't have time to do that, but they don't dispute that because his body's gone. But they're actually, and they can't dispute that there was a miracle that took place with this man. And they said, what, what authority do you have to do this? What authority? And they say, we do this in the name of Jesus Christ. And they're shocked because, because these are fishermen that just follow Jesus. And there was a boldness. There was a power. They didn't know what to do with these men, so they released Peter and John. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. They were released. The Bible says, verse 23, that they went to their friends. When they were released, they went to their friends. So it's not necessarily the whole church with like 10,000 people. There's a smaller group, maybe back in the upper room where they met in Acts chapter 1, and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And so what did this, what did this group do? What did the church do, I should say, when they faced some persecution and some problems and potentially they knew what was going to happen? What, what did they do? They gathered in this room and they reported these things. What does the Bible say in verse 24 they did? And when they heard it... They lifted their voices to God. What does the church do when it, when it groups together? Well, this church right here, by the example of the first church, they prayed together. We saw that in Acts chapter 1 in the upper room. We see that here. We see that again in Acts chapter 12 where they meet in Mary's house. And they're grouping together to pray. A church that is committed to Christ and to one another prays together. The threats against these men were real. I mean, think about it. They saw Jesus whipped and crucified. And Jesus actually promised these men in John chapter 15, verse 20, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, that's not a promise that you invite in your life, is it? especially when you see what happened to Jesus. So what do you do as a church when you face the impossible commission that Jesus gave them, which was to go into all the world with the gospel and you also potential pain that will come with that? Well, they gathered and they prayed. And look at verse 24. And when they heard it, that group heard it. And think about those two little letters, it. What was packed into that. Like when they heard what happened to them, but also what was going to happen, right? The promise of affliction and pain. When they heard it, they lifted their voices, and I love this, together. They lifted their voices together to God in prayer. And for what did they pray? I want you to notice, first of all, what they didn't pray for. They didn't pray for the opposition to stop. They didn't pray for a political revolution. Isn't that interesting? They, they gather as a church, and that's not what they pray for, which I think, let me pause to say, as we pray this week, this is probably instructive for us as we pray for the church and we pray for the country. What, what do we pray for? A lot of people will be praying, you know, change the political party, you know, change this. 
But what did they pray for? That's not what they prayed for. Well, their prayer can be broken into two parts. The first part was a, a prayer of submissive praise. You see that in verses 24 through, 30, uh, 24 through 28. So submissive praise. The second was a prayer of submissive petition. So you have praise and you have petition. So look at, let's look at submissive praise. First of all, verse 24, they prayed, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Notice the title that they gave to God. Now, this, this, these two English words here are actually one Greek word. And the usual word for, for Lord is kurios. But that's not what's used here. It's despotes, which is the idea that there's a Lord who has dominion. He's, he's a king. He rules over everything. So that's why they translate it here, sovereign Lord. It's not just Lord, but he's one as a ruler. He has dominion over all. Now, so think about this. When they think about their pain... They think about the impossible situation that they're in. The first thing they do is they recognize who God is. And there's a lot of names for God in the scriptures. But the one they recognize here is that he is the one who's in charge of it all. They praise God, in other words, for his sovereignty. And how, how does he sovereignly work? How is he sovereignly working here? By what means does he actively govern all things? Well, he governs by the power of his words. Notice the two areas that God governs by means of his words in their prayer. He says, they say, sovereign Lord who made all things. So how did he make all things? That's talking about creation. In the beginning, God created. And he spoke and all things came to be. Hebrews says that we've by faith believed that everything was made by the word of his power. So he spoke things into existence. So who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything. And then that basically includes everything that has been created, right? It's the universe all the way down to the little ant that's crawling on the hill out there. And, he's, and he, so he, they're, they're praising God that he is the one who rules over everything. Why do you think they reflected on, on this part of God's work and his character? What do you think this was an important thing for them to pray about? What do you think? I think it probably put life in perspective for them, right? I mean, they were just two months previous, this scared out of their mind. They were fearful, cowering. And, and at that moment, they had forgotten about God. They'd forgotten about his word. And now they're in a situation where they say, you know what? We're not going to forget. God's the one who's in charge. And we look at all around us. We realize he started it all. He created it all. He owns it all. He's the sovereign over all things, which kind of puts life in perspective for you, doesn't it? Sometimes we can be in a, a difficulty and a trial, and we can kind of see just our little world, what's happening around us, and be fearful, but forget about God, forget about his word. But this opens your mind up to the reality of what actually the, what's going on in the world, and that is that God is on the throne. And second, we see God's governance through, his, through redemptive history. And God powerfully uses his word. So look at verse 25. He says, And through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Notice the scripture was spoken and written by David, by a man, a man of God, in this case, King David. But also notice the words were breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 25. He said it, by the Holy Spirit. And this is another good example of why we believe the, the scriptures are inerrant 
and authoritative. In other words, they're without error. Because it wasn't just written by a man. It was written by the Holy Spirit. These are the very words of God. Now, what do they, what do they actually pray? Look at verse uh, number 25, where he goes into Psalm chapter 2. He says, why, or they say, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. These two verses are a quotation of Psalm chapter 2, which is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. So why do you think the church reflected upon this psalm, and this psalm in particular here? And I think that what they're doing here is they're taking the, the truths of God's word and they're applying them to their life. They believe the scripture spoke directly into their life. Like, this is not an obscure book. They didn't look at this as just something that they were to ritualistically do on a, on a Sunday or throughout the week. It, this was something that spoke directly into their life. They believed the answers to life were found the, in, in the Bible here. And they had some questions. Like, they had, as believers at that time, they would have had some questions like, like, why is this happening? Like, why aren't the religious leaders repenting and believing in their Messiah? Wouldn't that be a question you'd ask if you were back then? So what's the answer to that? Like, so if you're scratching your head going, why is that? Oh, I got an idea. What does the Bible say? Right? Oh, okay. And they believe that. They believe, oh, the, the answers to the, the world's questions are in the Bible here. And so let's look. And so what does the Bible, what does the Bible say? And that's why they answer. What's the answer to that? Look at verse number 25. So here's the question. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed or his messiah so the answer is right there in fact if you read the whole psalm you realize the answer is because god planned it all because <laughs> he's in charge of it all and that's why these things are happening and so look at verse 27 they directly apply it to what's happening in their time for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant jesus whom you anointed as messiah both herod and Pontius Pilate, there's the, the Gentiles raging, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever, listen, whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. So see, you see God's hand, so this points to his present providential work, and his plan points to his preordained plan for history. So if you read these scriptures right here, you got to be pretty confident God's in charge, don't you? And that's what these men were doing. They were going back, and these men and women, I should say, that's what this church was doing. They were going back and saying, okay, what's the reality? Like, the, their threat, there's threats against us. They're going to try to kill us. So how, do we, how should we look at this world? Well, God is in charge, and he's powerfully working through his, wor his word. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. And believers, God is orchestrating still the events of this world. When you gather on Thursday, and if you pray down and see me here, or you pray in your home, or you're praying at work, wherever you're at, don't fret about what's going on. Trust that God is the one who's in charge. His sovereign word planned history. His sovereign word created all things. And his sovereign word moves Time forward for his glory. And then his inscripturated word here breathes life into the souls of men and women for his glory.
So when you're in the midst of suffering, sometimes it can be hard to see. And we, we can believe that maybe God's not at work. or Maybe God's forgotten about us. And it can be difficult to praise God and to remember who he is. That he is, as we sing, the Lord over all. So what should you do? Follow the pattern of this church. They had faith. And they went to the word of God. Their faith was rooted in the truth of God's word. And that faith was demonstrated as they prayed that back to the Lord. And I I think probably as we pray as a church corporately and even individually, let me encourage you to go to God's word when you pray. One of the things I do when I pray is I'll take my Bible open. I'll open my Bible up and I'll just... You know, I have my list, and I'm praying for things, and I'm trying to go also to Scripture and think of truths from God's Word to help me understand how I should pray. And many times when I'm praying, I should say most of the times when I'm praying, I'm just praying the Scriptures in relation to whatever list I have. So when we pray, our prayers must be based upon the truths of God's Word as we submit our hearts and lives to Him and His Word. And then second, the second part of their prayer was a prayer of petition, a submissive petition. Look at verse 29, he says, and they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand and to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they asked two requests. Do you see them there in verse 29? First of all, look upon their threats, which is another way to say, here's the specific thing that we're praying for. And then number two. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In other words, give us courage in this situation to obediently speak the word of God. So, so consider what they prayed. First, they praise God, and then they ask God. They praise God, recognizing, listen, his sovereignty over all things by the power of his word. And then they prayed for boldness to take his word and be able to obediently Use it to proclaim the gospel. So they prayed for boldness. And where did they get this from? Where do you think they got this prayer from? I mean, it's interesting, like this whole scripture, or this whole prayer is based in scripture. Where did they get this part of their prayer from? Actually, it came from Jesus. In fact, I put this in your sheet there. If you want to open up your sheet and look at your notes there. John chapter 15. Two months previous to this, the night before Jesus was about to be crucified. He prays for his disciples. And actually, interesting enough, he prays for us. Prayed for all believers. In verse 14 of John 17, he said in prayer, I give them, Father, your word, your powerful word. So you see that? I give them your powerful word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So just like you... Just like I face persecution, you're going to face persecution. That's what he's saying in his prayer. Look at verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In other words, he's saying, I'm not asking for the persecution to be removed. I'm actually asking that they'll be faithful and obedient and won't give in to sin and quitting. One of the, I think one of the sad things that, we, that we, we see in our world is that when Christians have difficulties, a lot of times they like to run from things. Right? Oh, it's too expensive, so we got to get out of here. <laughs> or, or it's too hard, so i got to leave. And another, a good example of that is over the past 16 years, 1.5 million Christians 
have left Iraq. Now, you, you might look at that. You might be like, well, that's understandable. There's a lot of persecution there. And I don't know how many of those Christians are actually true born-again believers. I don't know. Only God knows. But I would say this. It's, that's really sad, actually. That should break our hearts. Right? Because that's not what Christ asks of us is to run. And I understand the pers- I understand the difficulty. I was talking to someone this past week and they said, oh, this, this mission organization, they're pulling people out of this, of this place because, you know, there's threats against their life. And, and I understand that. But we have to rethink and think about, like, what is Christ actually calling us to do? And, and our natural instinct is to run. But Christ actually called us to go. To go and be faithful and to be obedient. And these guys, were, I mean, I'm sure they were tempted to say, we just want to get out of here. Like, we don't want to face this. But they said, no, we are asking God to give us boldness to be obedient to you. And that's what Jesus prayed for them. And let me say this. That's what Jesus prays for you. So he prays for you. His prayer is that you would be strong in the Holy Spirit and you would be bold and you would endure. So how is that possible? How is it possible when you see Jesus, when you saw Jesus be be scourged and crucified? And then now you consider that's going to happen to you. How do you how do you endure that? Like How do you not run screaming the other way? Well, it's actually not possible to do it on your own. If you, if you try to muster up in yourself and be like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to obey you, Lord. I'm going to I'm going to be faithful Lord. you can't do it on your own. And that's why in John 17, Jesus promises what for these, these men? I'm going to give you something when I leave. And it's a person and it's the person of the Holy Spirit. That's right. And you know, what's interesting is that in verse 31 of Acts 4, they prayed, they depended upon the Lord. And what happened? Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. That was God's way to demonstrate to them that their prayers were answered. Now, that, that's not going to happen today. Or, and it could in California, right? The earthquake could happen. But it's not related to any prayer. Okay, that's just not going to happen today. And if we have an earthquake in here, then uh, maybe you might reconsider that, I guess. Because that could happen in California. But that, this is something that was for them at that time to say, listen, the promise of the Holy Spirit is there. Like, he's there to help you. And gave them confidence. And then it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what did the Holy Spirit enable them to do? And they continued to speak the word with all boldness. With all boldness. Which for them meant they were to go out. And go back into that temple. And stand up and proclaim the word of God. Knowing that persecution would come. There's a lot of confusion in our world today. And what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go through a message on this right now. But I will. I think it's good to touch on these kind of things. Because I want you to first notice what it, it's not saying. It's not saying that this is the first time they received the Holy Spirit. It's also not saying that th- they didn't have the Holy Spirit and now he came. It wasn't like they were in the room saying, Lord, please give us the Holy Spirit. Oh, here he is. Okay. That's, that's not what it's saying here. They already had the Holy Spirit. When a person is regenerated by the Holy Spirit, he's sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise to the day of redemption. It's permanent. It's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. 100%. Like you don't need to pray for, you know, the, the next 10% to come, right? It wasn't like they were praying, oh, they, well, now we got more of the Holy Spirit than we had before. They had all of the Holy Spirit when they prayed and when after they prayed. So the Holy Spirit, uh, filling the Holy Spirit was not them receiving more of the Holy Spirit. 
the filling of the Holy Spirit was, first of all, a surrender to God in prayer. It was them surrendering their heart to God in prayer and then being empowered by the grace of the Holy Spirit to obey. So the filling of the Holy Spirit was actually a filling of grace and enablement to please God and do what God had called them to do. In fact, you look over in Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, you can see this as a real-life example of, of Peter gets up to preach, and the Bible says in, in Acts 4, 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like Peter was waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, and all of a sudden he got filled, and then he got to preach. No, it was the Holy Spirit enabled him to get up and proclaim the word of God. So what changed in that room? What changed from when they prayed and after they prayed? And what changed was their hearts before they prayed and after they prayed, their hearts after they prayed were surrendered to the Lord. They were humble and they were depending upon the Lord in prayer. And the result of that is the Holy Spirit enabled them to do what they asked of God, which was to obey the word of God. And to obey Jesus Christ and go out and proclaim the gospel. And I, I think it's good for me to take something like this and warn people. But there's, there's an experiential mumbo jumbo out there where people see this kind of thing and they think, okay, that must mean something crazy. Like maybe we should uh, laugh, you know, like you ever heard of holy laughter or roll in the aisles, right? Or, or, or go crazy, shake on the ground, okay? That's not what was happening here. That's not what, you don't see that happening here. But actually... Filling of the Spirit is far more beautiful and delightful than that. Because when you're filled, when, you're, when you receive the power of God and the grace of God in your life, you get to enjoy God, you get to obey God, and you get to please Him. You get to be used by God. You get to be actually empowered to be able to go tell people about Jesus Christ and see lives transform with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we access this this power of the Holy Spirit, this grace that he fills us with, it's through prayer. I'm afraid as a church in America, I think that we can confess that we have lost the power of the Holy Spirit, haven't we? Why do you think that is? The gospel is being preached on the radio, I hear it. Some people don't. The gospel is being preached in many churches. Why do we lost the power? I think we've lost the prayer. We've lost the prayer. Where is the church that gathers to pray? Many churches depend upon programs, high-profile preachers, big givers, the latest creative attraction. I read of a church that is doing the end game, you know, advertisement. So come to our church and there's a message on the end game, Avengers, you know. Like, what? I don't know. And, and people wanted to have these, even these, you know, these miraculous stories that some preacher can tell. Maybe that will pull people in. But what actually is it? Like, how, how does God actually work within the church? He calls us, as his people, to gather together and depend upon him in prayer. I think it's, I think it's this Tuesday that there's a, a power pool going to be worked on out there. Is it this Tuesday? Yeah, and so the power will be off on the property. You know what happens when the power is off on the property? Nobody's here. I'll, I'll probably still be here because I live here. But no one else, right? I've had that happen before where you're in a church office and power's out. And so if the power's out, the air condition's off. 
So those people who tend to be hot people, you know what I'm talking about? They don't like being in there. The computers are off, and anymore you can't even do anything if you don't have a computer. Now you can't even do anything on a phone because all the phones are hooked up to the internet, which is hooked up to the electricity. So now you can't even use that. And then, of course, you can't read anything because all the lights are off. So you can still go outside of the sun. There you go. But but if you if I walked in on Tuesday and was like, "What's going on here? What's hot wrong?" You know, what's going on is there's no power. Honestly, I think that many churches. People could walk into and, and look, and what, what's going on? What's wrong here? And they're missing something. Unfortunately, people are, are living their lives and, and, and going through the motions at church. They don't even realize the lights are off. Because the Holy Spirit's power is not present. So we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit as we depend upon the Lord in prayer. Now, you might think this is going to be a long message, but actually I'm wrapping it up here. So second part, a church that is committed to Christ and to one another prays together and also shares life together. <clears throat> if you look at your sheet there, I put at the, the top there, Acts 2, 42, which says the church was devoted to the fellowship and prayers. And so when we talk about the fellowship, that word fellowship in Acts 2, 42 is actually speaking of a partnership, a, a relationship you have with someone. The first century church was described as a group of people who were in Fellowship with one another. The primary idea behind this word is not speaking of an activity. We think about church sometimes. We think about buildings. Well, it's not. It's the church are people. Sometimes we think about church and we think about activities. Well, it's not. It's about relationships. So the primary idea behind this word is that there are, there are these people that you're committed to that you live life with in relationship. And from relationship flows activity. Right? Some of you are going to go afterwards and after the service and you're going to eat with someone. Maybe it's your family. Now, why are you eating with your family? Because they're your family. That's what you do. If you have a relationship with someone, you do activity with them. It's not like you're going to go out and be like, okay, because I'm eating with you, now you're my family. No, that's not how it works, right? Relationship results with activity. And because we have a relationship with each other and with the Lord Jesus Christ, we're a family with each other, then we will therefore do activity together. We will live life together. In fact, look down in Acts 4.32. And this is what you see in this first century church here. Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed. So they went from this smaller group praying. And now we're talking about the full number, which I said, what is that? Like a 10,000 person church in Jerusalem. Were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. You know why? It wasn't because it belonged to the government, right? Or that it belonged to the church. It was actually that it all belonged to God. And so they said, this is all, all of our stuff belongs to you. You rule over everything. You have everything. Everything we have is from you. But they had everything, therefore, in common. In other words, they shared life together. Someone had a need. Oh, I'll help with that person's need. And a lot of people just think of money when they think of stuff like this. Like, oh, they have... But listen, this, this is talking about the life that they had with one another. They shared their lives. They lived for Christ. They encouraged each other. They ate together. They helped each other. In the, verse 33, And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Where did they get that grace from, you think? The Holy Spirit. How do you think they... The, the Holy Spirit's power came upon them through prayer. This was a praying, 
praying church. And church, Christ has called us to be committed to him and listen, and to each other, and to each other. What does that look like for us? Well, we've kind of talked through that on this right here. But my desire here is that, is that my, I should say my prayer is I hope that it's organic. I hope there's this organic relationship you have with each other, that you see someone, you see a need, and you want to help them, that someone doesn't have anywhere to go after church to eat. So you say, will you eat with me? Or what are you doing this week? Can we spend a night together? I, I want it to be organic. I think that's what God calls us to do. Sometimes it's helpful to organize things as a church to kind of help get us in a pattern of doing things together and, and serving each other and serving the Lord, kind of prime the pump, if you will. And so what I want to do is, just, as, as we end here, talk about next steps. And, and particularly, as I think about our church, and I was thinking about what are, the, what are some of the things that we need to do as Lighthouse Bible Church in relation to what we talked about? And I think of probably two areas that I talked about this morning in relation to prayer and in relation to sharing our lives together. I think those are probably two areas that every church can improve on. Wouldn't you agree? We all need to be praying more. We all need to be investing in other people's lives more. And uh, so I, I would, if you want to open your sheet up here, or actually look at the back here. I'm sorry. On the back there, I, I put some next steps for us to just help us to think through, like, what are some ways that we can group better together as a church? And, of course, we meet on Sunday mornings here, and we have classes in the morning that teach the Word of God, and those are great. But what I would like to do is see us have more times of grouping together, particularly to pray, and then also particularly to share our lives together. And so I'm gonna, we're going to start in the month of May, if you see the first line there, grouping on Sundays as a church. And so the second Sunday of the month, I want us to start gathering together to pray. Sunday evening, and I don't know what time we're going to pick right now, but we'll figure that out. To pray, we might discuss some of the Sunday morning messages, go through some questions and discuss that, talk about how we can apply that. But really, dedicate ourselves as a church to praying together. And then the fourth Sunday of the month, have some type of fellowship. We've already had some of these where we've had these potlucks or we even had a Christian film a couple weeks ago. And things like that, things where we can actually hang out together, if you want to say it that way, okay? And some people think, well, that's not very spiritual to do. Well, that's not what you see here in the New Testament. They're actually living life together. I think it's important for us to develop those relationships with each other. And of course, we're already doing uh, home fellowships. But nothing big, nothing elaborate, nothing that's going to go hours long, thinking like an hour long. I'm actually short, sweet, and enjoyable. That's my philosophy right there. And so, so do stuff like that together as a church. So try to group better together. And actually, I'll just be transparent. My goal in the end of this is some of this so we can, at some point, be able to have this spread and be able to do this in more of each other's homes. The second thing is the ladies' ministry. Um, they're going to be meeting next Sunday, so make sure you sign up for that. But also starting in the fall, they're going to start a Bible study once a month. They're going to do that together. really think it's important for you as ladies from young to old, however you want to define that, okay, that you are fellowshipping with each other, that you guys are able to encourage each other, study the Bible together. And then also this summer, I think it's important for us to put the gospel in front of our families and our children. We're going to have a kids spectacular. This is the first one Simi Valley has ever had. There's a lot of VBSs out there. And I'm just saying, you know, but we're going to have a kids spectacular, formerly known as VBS. <laughs> so we're actually going to do a little different. We're going to start on a Sunday night. We're going to go through Wednesday night. So try to start it up on Sunday night, go through Wednesday night. So we'll see how it goes. And we're going to. 
uh, have some people helping us with that, have you all helping us with that. It's going to be a good time. I'll talk about more of that in the future. And also, um, I want to encourage our teens and our parents to be um, growing together in service and also in the scripture. So I'm going to have a, a meeting in the month of May, probably May 19th. But again, I got to get some details on that. But I'm going to have a meeting with the parents and teens and just talk more about that. What does that look like? And really start start going down that road uh, this summer. Also, and I don't have anything particularly lined out there, but personal and group discipleship. We already have some of that going on. The elders are meeting with some of the men for discipleship. I meet with men for discipleship, but really encourage that more individual discipleship, but also even group discipleship. And then the last one there is being better connected. One of the things that I've been, frankly, working through and praying through the past number of months is that I, sometimes I don't talk to people until it's like Sunday. <laughs> and or I don't I don't get to communicate to you until it's Sunday. It's like Sunday morning. If you don't hear it on Sunday morning, you never really hear it because communication can be difficult. And uh, and so I'm try- I was trying to just research and try to figure out, okay, how can we do communication? And I found this this um, platform to be able to do it, where basically you can receive from the church um, from the church group or also from ind- smaller groups. You can receive updates and communication. So you know the. The children's church workers can communicate through this. The, um, the security can communicate through this. The, we can send out emails to the entire church. You can choose to either have an email sent to you or a text sent to you. And, and actually, frankly, I want to better communicate with you. I, I want to be able to tell you on Wednesday what I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. And so you can pray for that and pray for me. I want to be able to hear better back from you. Some people I don't get to hear from because I don't. it's difficult to communicate with that many people. And, uh, and so I just want to make us uh, make that more available. So here's what I'm going to have you do right now. I'm going to have you get your cell phone out. Usually I tell you to put them away or lock everything but your Bible. But you get your cell phone out. If you look at your sheet there in the very back, it has a number that you can text on there. And what I want you to do is get your cell phone out. If you would, this is a request, not a command. Um, if you would. Uh, you can text that number, 84576. That's actually the the phone number. And then text that code. That's LBC4910. And if you do that, you can actually sign up to receive texts and emails. This is also on the website too, so if you miss it right now, um, you can do that later today. It's on the website. And I would like our church to to have um, just this better connection together. And we live in a digital society, right? We're not all living on the same street. And so it's, it's helpful for us to be able to be able to digitally connect. Not everyone's on Facebook, so we have some ways to connect. But if you're not on Facebook, how do you connect? Frankly, I don't even have Facebook on my phone because I don't like being tempted with that kind of stuff. And so it's like, you know, to, to waste my time scrolling on that kind of stuff. So, um, but everyone pretty much has a cell phone now or an email, so we can do that. So I'm trying to give you, bide some time for you to do that right now. So if you think you're waiting for me, don't wait for me. Go ahead and do it right now. Get your phone out. Text that. To that number, and you can sign up real quickly on there, no problem at all. So, where do we go from here? Well, I went through our, our vision of our church. What I'd like you to do is, I'd like you to take this sheet, or maybe one of the sheets I passed out over the past couple weeks. I'd like you to, to take it home with you and think through it, pray through it, talk through it. I'd like us to get to know why we exist and what we do, and I'd like us as a church to be committed to this. But most importantly, above all else, I want us as a church to be dependent upon God, right? Like we're not just here 
to meet because it's a thing to do. We're not just here to meet because it was started 38 years ago and we want to keep it going, right? No, we want to meet because we want to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want to truly worship him and be committed to him. But also we want to be committed to each other. We want to help each other grow in Christ and encourage each other. And so would you go through that and just think through that? And then we need to, as a church, pray together. Pray for each other and pray for our country. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? want to give you a couple minutes just to think through some of the things we talked about in our study today, particularly in the two categories that we need to be a praying church, and also we need to be a church that shares life with one another. Christian, would you renew your commitment to the Lord right now, that you want to be a person who depends upon him in prayer? Ask him for grace to obey in that area this week. And Christian, will you also pray and ask God to renew and renew your commitment to the Lord and to each other, to helping and encouraging other believers to grow in Jesus Christ. And I think last of all, we need to pray and ask God to use us to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are left on this world and this earth so that we can be the witnesses that Christ has called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we consider your sovereignty and our minds frankly, are blown away. It's it's hard to understand. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your thoughts higher than our thoughts. Your ways higher than our ways. It's it's so hard to understand your ways. But we, we trust and believe that you are in charge. And if not, God then what do we have to cling to? Ourselves? The chaos of this world? No, God, we cling to the fact that you're good, you're holy, and you're sovereign. You have us as your children in your hand. We're secure in Christ. God, we we want to serve you. We want to live for you. We want to obey you. And we can't do it just waking up each morning and living our life and going to bed. We have to depend upon you, God. This church cannot move forward because of a pastor or elders or because of programs. We can only move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. So give us the grace. Give us the empowerment to obey you, to live for you to go out obediently and give the gospel to the world. We've seen people saved in the past couple months. It's awesome. We want, God, we want to see more people come to Christ. And it, it can only happen when you choose to shine your light into the hearts of men. So God, would you please do that? We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.